0: The rest of you may be seated. Praise God. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. I want to thank our mothers for being here. We love you. You're awesome. You are the mothers of Zion, so keep serving Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Today we're going to talk about Enoch walking faithfully before God. As a Christian, we have to understand that these Old Testament examples are here for our encouragement and that we ought not to think about them as someone unrelatable or some person that we cannot be like. We should look at their lives and say, I want to be like that person. Everybody say, I can. Do what God tells me to do and be a hero of faith. Amen. Thank you. For saying that with me. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So, as we look at the book of Hebrews, the heroes of the faith, what are they getting commended for? They're getting commended for their faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And let's keep scrolling down, if we could, for a little bit. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. And then, if you keep going down to verse 7, by faith, Noah. Everybody say, by faith. faith. Thank you. So when you look at the scriptures, the ancients are being commended for their faith. Now look back at verse one, and I think I'll be doing this by God's grace, or as easy, uh, as much as it comes to my remembrance, and as as easy as it is for me to get it out quickly, because I don't want to get like trapped into the review. I always want you to understand what we mean by faith. When we mean, what we mean by faith is not make-believe. What we're saying is we have a substance for things hoped for. So let me do this a little bit differently this week to help keep it fresh. When Martin Luther King Jr. gave his speech, I have a dream when he gave that speech and talked about children of different colors being able to live together, share life together, and there not be an issue, very much like what's going on in this church right now, did he have the actual hope, the actual thing he was wanting to see happen in front of him that he could take a picture of, that he could hold in his hands and see it? Did he have it like that? No. What he had was faith. Somebody say faith. Now, When he had that faith, was that faith simply just an idea in his head or was it more than that? Was it a spiritual vision, something that he saw that was real, but it just wasn't real to the five senses? In other words, it was a real substance of a thing he had called a dream that was a real thing. Like you had a dream last night, he had a real dream or vision of something he saw but it wasn't of the senses. So Let me ask you this. Was his dream real, yes or no? Yes, it was, but it wasn't of the five senses. Did you have a dream last night, anybody? Was it real? In the sense of, did it happen in your mind? Did you have a dream? Yes, but you couldn't take the dream out of your head, put it on a piece of paper, and paint it. So track with me right here. That is what faith is like. Faith is a substance, but it's not a substance that's found in matter, space, and time. It is a substance of the soul. Your soul is not something you look at in a scientific lab. Now, when people hear that, they become uncomfortable, and they say something like, I only believe what I can prove with science. Now, what is a simple thing to say back to them? Prove science with science. They can't do it. Can you prove the inductive method? Just Google up there and put up there the steps of the inductive method. First, you come up with a hypothesis. You come up with an idea. Then you begin to do experimentation. After you do the experimentation, you get validation or things that invalidate. After you've done that for a while, if it conforms with your hypothesis, then you have a theory. Can I hear an amen for some scientists in the house? Anybody like science? Come on. But those steps that I just mentioned, hypothesis... Can you paint that red, put that in a laboratory and test it with a beaker? The word hypothesis and the idea of what it is. Can you test it in a scientific laboratory? No, the next thing, the need to have a step number two called experimentation. Can you take the idea of step number two, we experiment, can you paint that idea of doing that red, put a little, and I say red, I mean like how you see those little eyedropper things they put into the the vials and then the cells they separate. Can you do that with the second step of the scientific method? No, you cannot. So how do you prove science? Do you use science? Just click on any one of them, good sir, thank you. Do you prove science with science? No, you don't prove science with science. Science is something you do after you already have it. Science simply stands for knowledge. Is everybody with me? Now they put theory at the beginning, And that's the way some people are taught. To me, theory comes at the end of confirmation. And I think you would agree with my way because how many know we have theories of gravity, theories of this, theories of that. That What they're trying to say is that you start with the idea of a theory, then it's a hypothesis, h- observation, confirmation. But for me, it starts with the hypothesis, observation, experimentation, confirmation, then theory. Okay, is everybody tracking with me? You guys are probably more familiar with my version, right? Joe, be helping find a version that actually looks more similar to what I'm talking about. Thank you. And you don't have to, yes, yeah, show, show us that while you're doing it. Everyone, track with me, especially the young people. The scientific method. Can any of those steps in the scientific method be proven in science? No. How do you know that there's a one, a two, a three, and a four of the scientific method? Do you show that in a laboratory? Well, you have to have the... Like right now, we're having an argument with the the Google search, right? So I'm saying the... Um, the hypothesis comes first. That's, the, that's saying the theory comes first. How do we now decide who's right? Do we go into a scientific laboratory to fight over those words? And then one of us is going to lift up the goggles and go, aha, with some smoke coming up from the beaker, and go, aha, Joe was right. It's hypothesis that comes first. Are we going to do that scientifically? No. Somebody talk to me. Yes or no? No, we're not going to use science to prove science. What did you do first to do science? You did something in your soul, and you did something in your mind, and you did something that we would call is a substance of logic, a substance of thought. And what that was showing you is the difference of thought from the inductive method, which is a scientific method, to the deductive methods, which is normally done with syllogisms in logic. Can I hear an amen? Daddy's, I say daddy, I I thought I was talking to my kids. I was going to say, daddy's teaching you. (laughs) You know, I'm going so slow right now. Seriously, sometimes I use chat AI and I'm like, explain it to me like I'm in fifth grade, okay? Pastor's teaching you right now. But for my kids, hey kids, daddy's working, okay? Daddy's working up here. Now everybody get this in the scriptures, Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Put that in the scientific method. The inductive method, the scientific method, is a substance of things hoped for, watch, in the laboratory. Amen? Does everybody get that? Listen, we'll get to Noah's Ark and these little Bible stories in a little bit, but I gotta stretch you past Sunday school right now, okay? This is by God's grace. You guys are all better at me in real life. Trust me. If we had to build something, Carlos, you would be just, you you know, doing laps around me. You know, I mean, I would make a mess out of any car I had to repair or, you know, like we were doing the glass thing. I don't know your job. So please, when I'm up here, do not think Joe thinks he's better than you. What I just want to do is teach you because the world that you live in has been secularized and you are made to feel as a less than when you use faith and then they will say back to you, but I do science. And what you need to do is ask them, how do you do science? Where does science come from? Because it certainly doesn't come from a laboratory. Science means knowledge, and what scientists do is the act of learning things. And once again, what does that presuppose? When you learn something is that you can be a learner, that your soul can learn things and take in information to the mind. And here is how the scientific method works. It's called the inductive method. As I've showed you before, the deductive method of logic. Socrates is a man. All men are mortal. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. That is deductive logic in that syllogism. Inductive logic is like this. All the geese I see are, um, well, let's start this way, doves. All the doves I see are white. Bob saw a dove today. Therefore, it was white. Does everybody see that? It's based on the generalization of what you have seen and observed. All doves are white. Mike saw a dove today. Therefore, Mike saw a white dove. But the inductive method to be able to make such a statement, all doves are white, what does that mean about your capacity of knowledge to make such a statement? You have to say that you've seen every single dove that's out there. Have you seen every single dove? No, and there's probably a Google search right now that can show you a different color dove, right? And so when someone says anything in the scientific method, what does it always presuppose is that things are the way they seem for everybody that sees it right now. But it could be different somewhere else. In other words, water boils at this temperature. Mike boiled water. Therefore, Mike boiled water at this temperature. And so we say that's the temperature of boiling water. But have you boiled water on Mars? Do you know that that's the same temperature there? Have you boiled water on a mountain? Have you boiled water under the sea? Have you boiled water going Mach 10? Have you seen all the different ways that water reacts when you boil it? So when you're making these statements as generalizations, they're always limited by your knowledge. Grass is green. Mike saw grass. Therefore, the grass was green. But how do we know that Mike? Uh, how do we know that Mike saw the kind of grass that you and I know? Mike could have saw purple grass. Grass could start being purple tomorrow. We wouldn't even know. How I mean, in some other part of the world that we haven't been to, and so forth. Have you guys found it? Please put it up there for me, please. Thank you. Scientific method. It seems like you're showing me the same screen here, but now it's upside down there. Okay. Observation. There you go. Click on one of them. What, the, the one that you feel is closest to what I was saying. There you go. Observation, pattern, tentative hypothesis, this, and then what does it go to? Theory. There you go. So that's why it was showing you that. It was showing you the difference between inductive and deductive knowledge. There you go. Now go up a little bit for me, please. There you go. See, now you're learning the difference. Theory, hypothesis, observation, confirmation, and then now go down. One's a top-down approach. One is a bottom-up approach. If you could uh, do that, uh, whatever that shows us there. So you can understand these different theories of knowledge, observations, pattern, tentative, hypothesis, theory. So now now we know why it was switched around because one was showing you inductive and the other one was showing you deductive. Thank you, my brother. Now go back to our Bible, please. How many know good science confirms our Bible? Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. What am I, as a Christian, putting my faith in? Who am I putting my faith in, y'all? Jesus. Do I have good reason to put my faith in Jesus? Yes. Did people in the Bible have good reason to put their faith in Jesus? Yes. So does faith contradict reason? No. Anytime you hear a Christian say faith is unreasonable or faith is illogical, you have met someone that has not studied either very much. And God bless those who say this that are true Christians. We don't mean this is a heaven or hell issue. It just means they are ignorant of faith and they are ignorant of reason. They don't understand either. Faith is always in confirmation with reason. Go quickly to Isaiah chapter 1. And also if you just think about the names of Jesus. He is the way and he is the what? The truth in the Greek, that is aletheia. Jesus is truth. There is nothing that is ever going to be uh, untrue about Jesus. When we say unreasonable, we mean untrue. There's nothing untrue about Jesus. The devil is a liar, not Jesus. God does not lie. Now, when you look at Isaiah chapter 1, he says, come, let us reason together. Someone go to that passage for me quickly as my big Polish fingers are sticking all over these pages. Lord, help me to flip through a Bible. How many know sometimes a paper Bible is a little difficult? Just got to scroll through it here. Isaiah chapter 1, when God is speaking to them, verse 18, he says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. And then put that in the King James. It says, Come, let us reason together. Does everybody see the word reason This is why I love Dr. William Lane Craig, and he's a great help to the Christian community. And you can get one of his books, Reasonable Faith, Reasonable Faith. And sometimes um, non-Christians make fun of us for that, and they'll say it's reasonable make-believe, reasonable fantasy, which, by the way, those are all just words that can mean something good as well. What are we make-believing? Think about that. Are we make-believing something that could be true? Because if you're make-believing that you could become something great in life, that's where you had to start. And now because you made a belief about that, it can become true. So not all make-believe is wrong. Can I hear an amen? And not all fantasy is wrong. How many of you, uh, some mothers here, have had some fantasies come true? I said to oh, I do not get no amens from no the women of here. Thank you. I said to my wife the other day, you would not be having a Mother's Day if I would not have made some of your fantasies come true, if I, if I can just keep it real in the church here. So I was, did I not tell you that? Because you were being a little stingy with your love the other day, and I just had to look at you, and I had to say, now listen here, mama. If I hadn't have been all up in your business when you were tired on certain days, and you were wanting to be by yourself, if I hadn't have been up in your business, there wouldn't be all this right here. They don't make themselves, Amen. Come on, somebody say fantasies do come true. So you see, you got to, you know, people use these words, they use these words uh, against us as Christians. Always turn it back on them. The Bible says, answer the fool according to their folly, lest they be wise in their own eyes. There's also a proverb that's right in that same context says, don't answer a fool according, according to his folly, lest he thinks he's wise in his own eyes. So there's times you answer a fool... And there's times you don't answer a fool. Let God lead you. But don't let a fool get away with it when they, hey, when they think they're so smart and they do all the talking and say, no, no, man, we're going to look at these words you're saying, you're stringing thoughts together. I don't think you know what they mean. Let's take some time. But notice in the Scripture, reason, truth is together with faith. Come now, God says, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as a scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Now, quickly, going back to Hebrews chapter 11, look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. Amen. Amen. Mothers will get you home in time for the crock pot. We're not going to mess you up too much, okay? Or there'll be plenty of space there at, at Golden Corral, okay, wherever y'all going. <laughs> oh, Borinkins. you know, does Burinkins still have a spot there by Humble Park? I know this one on Central closed down, but is the original still there? No, now it's an argument. <laughs> okay, whether it's there or not, if you get your ibaritos today, it's okay. They'll still be there. Amen. Okay, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Put that in the language of the secular world. Now science, the scientific method, is the substance, is the thought process, the reasonable approach that scientists use for the things they hope for, to show the theories. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Now the next part, the evidence of things not seen. As I've just shared with you before, we do this all the time. We make deductions about things we have not seen, and we hold on to that as being true. As I said before, Socrates is a man. All men are mortal. Therefore, Socrates Socrates is mortal. How many believe that statement is evidence to you, even though you can't see any of those three points I said in that syllogism, how many believe those statements are evidence to you you're going to die one day? How many believe that? Should the Lord tarry and the natural cause of life happen to all of us, we will die. So you hold on to that, that syllogism, and we could just say it in one sentence you know, all men die and I'm a man, therefore I'm gonna die. Or all people die, I'm a person, therefore I'm gonna die. You hold on to that as evidence that you're what? Going to die. That's why you don't run out in the street today because you're not playing a video game where you get to hit reset or a cheat code and get a few more lives. That You hold on to that. That's evidence to you. But once again, have you seen every single human being that's ever lived and watched every single human being that's ever died? You have not, but you take it as evidence in your mind, the thought of it, the concept of it, you take that as evidence, and now you live by it. Brothers and sisters, you are getting a college class today on faith. I hope you're taking notes or at least receiving this, going back and listening. Do not let anyone ever reduce what we do in this church to mere make-believe, to mere fantasy science fiction. No, we are having the foundation for everything that's valuable in life. What do you value in life? Oh, I value justice. Okay, Martin Luther King Jr., example, had a dream. That was evidence to him. That was a substance to him that racism could be demolished in our world, and today it is. That man had faith in that idea, that concept. Not speaking of his Christian life. There were some shady things that he did in adulterous affairs and also some false doctrines he believed. But I'm talking about that that God idea of justice was something he held in his heart. He believed in it before it came to pass and now we have it here today. And then when you talk to the people who say, well, I value invention, I value creativity, whether it's Steve Jobs in the iPhone or or, uh, Elon Musk in the Tesla, where did all of that start? It started as substance and as evidences in their mind. Think about it. Electricity is a force. If electricity is a force, it can move a car. It can move a car without combustion of gas and et cetera. And then he saw this in his mind. He had the concepts of it, and then he went out into the world to prove it. Well, Christianity is the same exact way. I have a reasonable faith. I have a reasonable belief system based on God. And what do I do? I go out into the world and I prove it. I just don't say I have faith. I demonstrate my faith. When you go through this list right here, does it say, by faith, Abel played make-believe in his backyard and put a cape on himself and thought he was Superman and could fly? No, does it say in the next verse, by faith, Enoch pretended he was a dragon and was a T Rex and ran around his backyard? Right there. Is that what it says? Does it go on the story? Does it say these people did a bunch of make believe things? No, by faith, as we learned last week, Abel gave God the best offering. You all tracking with me? In his mind, everybody believe this, as a soul you have a mind, you're more than just your brain, your brain dies, your mind with your soul lives forever. In his heart, which is also a way to refer to our emotions in our mind, he believed, if I give God my best, I'll be rewarded. He believed that before he saw that. So something had been handed down to him through his parents that if he believes in God, he'll give God his best. When he didn't see God, when he didn't see anybody get rewarded by God, when he had no other physical evidence of that, he had an evidence in his mind, if God is good, if God is real, if God has created all of this, when I give God my best, God will bless me. And so he gets up in the morning, everybody think about this, he takes the firstborn of his animals, and he brings it before God all by faith, and then in the next moment, what does God say to him? Well done, you're blessed. You see what I'm saying? That was real life. That wasn't make-believe. That wasn't just hanging out in his backyard pretending he was doing something. No, his faith had action, and that's what God's calling us to do. And this is why in our world today, as I said before, everybody has faith, just not everybody has the right kind of faith. You see, most people have faith in what they're doing, faith in what they can achieve, their dream or vision for themselves, I'm going to become a self-made person, Uh, what they want in a lover or a spouse and so forth, as Joe B. had already mentioned, what they believe they can become in the next gender. But that's not biblical faith because it's actually not based on reason. It that it by definition is make-believe in that sense, and it will not come to pass because it's unbiblical. When you hear the word biblical, you should be inserting in your mind, thinking of it being a synonymous term, truth. Biblical is truth. The Bible is truth. That which is true lines up with the Bible. And if I'm living by the Bible, even if the principles, or rather, even if the manifestation of the principles have not come to pass, the principles themselves are evidence to me. And that's why when you look at the world and they're saying, I'm manifesting, I'm doing all that, there's a sliver of truth there. The error is, is when they manifest away from what God has given us. What you need to bring forth into the world is not your own, listen, vain imagination as the scriptures call it, but the Word of God. You and I are called to bring forth the Word of God. The Word of God is like a seed planted in our heart. Let's go to 1 John, and I'll show you that the Word of God is called sperma. Everybody ready for some sperma on Mother's Day? Oh, y'all getting quiet on me now? What's the pastor you getting all dirty for on Mother's Day? That's not nice. Sperma is a Greek word, and you know what it means? Seed. That's what it means. Go to First Peter. Oh man, you own it. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Let's give it up for Rudy in the back. Come on. No. Oh man, I'm clapping for you. But you. No, no. Listen, I was going to already take back that clap. But you went to First John, and I said First Peter. Uh, Peter has it as well. Peter has it as well. I'm going to. I'm going to check on that. But this man just went above and beyond. Let's give him another clap because I was almost going to take the clap. What was wrong with me, Eric? I was going to take the clap from him. Man, what's wrong with me? Did I say First John? I didn't say First Peter. Originally, what did I say? I did say First John. Okay. Please pray for me. Somewhere in all of this is coming a point about sperma. Are you all Ready? So I did say 1 John. I believe it's also in 1 Peter. I will check. Look at 1 Peter where it says you've been born again there as well from seed. I believe it's 1 Peter chapter 1 or 2. Okay, But here it is perfectly. So this is where the Lord wants us to be. Let's go. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning. Now highlight the word seed there and you'll see the Greek word right here. Nancy, what is this Greek word? Can you read it? S-P-E-R-M-A in Greek. What is this? Sperma. Everybody say sperma. Okay, now don't think with a dirty mind it means seed, okay? Young dudes going to be like, Pastor talked about sperm in church. We're talking about the seeds. Everybody say seed, okay? When a man gives sperm to a woman and that's what makes her pregnant and gets together with her egg, and now we have Mother's Day, that's why they call it sperm. It comes from the Greek word seed. Now, am I also right in Peter. Now, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. This one's a good one. Thank you, Bertha. Did you say that as well? Thank you, man of God. For you have been born again, not of what? Perishable speed, sperma, but of imperishable. And this is why I wanted Peter even though I said John, but John had it too. Through the living and enduring, what? Word of God. You got some sperm in you today, male and female if you're a Christian, the seed of God. Come on. You got the seed of God. Don't, don't think dirty now. Just think as the word of God is teaching us here. Sperma, seed, word of God is in you today. That's how you were born again. Through that living word of God, what are you doing? You are bringing forth fruit. That's how you bear forth fruit. That's how you grow from that seed. So what's the difference between us and that TikToker that's manifesting their Lambo is we're not manifesting our own thoughts and ideas, our vain imaginations, as the Scripture says. We are manifesting, bringing forth from our faith the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Going back to Hebrews. So everybody has faith. Not everybody has the right kind. When you look at the scriptures, the kind of faith that we want, the kind of faith that was uh, commended in the ancients' lives were those who trusted in God. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand. See, notice that. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So when we talk about saying we understand by faith, faith understands what we're saying is faith teaches us how to comprehend and put together the world, and specifically, the command of God creating the world. Now, do I think string theory is a neat theory that shows the God's command, the, the, the power of the voice and all that? Sure, but could they find something else? Absolutely, but in every place we have studied science and gotten better at it, we've gotten closer to the Bible, not further away. For example, Albert Einstein believed in the steady state model that the universe was eternal. The Big Bang disproved him. This was called his great blunder. And so as we got closer to the truth, we understood the earth and the world had a beginning, the universe. And then now, as they're studying string theory, which has multiple dimensions and a whole other different discussion on particle physics, the important part that I wanted you to understand is that Michio Akaku, one of the leaders in this, and I had you uh, to at least look at it last week. We didn't watch the video, but I referenced it, said that the smallest particles that we can see are vibrating strings of sound. And it's from those that the other particles are, found, are formed, and that's why we can discover them. So in other words, how do particles know to form the way that particles form? They form based on the vibrations of this sound. Does that sound like that we are getting closer to the Bible and the voice of God commanding forth a universe? Or does it sound like we're getting further away? No, we're getting closer. So I believe, like some of the Christian theologians, you mentioned Augustine and others, my brother, which was very nice. I believe, like some of the theologians believe, that the closer we get to God, the more we'll understand the world, and the more that we consider miraculous, and the more that we consider the normal, they'll actually come together and be super normal. We'll begin to understand the world as it actually is. So in one sense, we see the world as being mostly physical and every now and then spiritual. But as I believe we learn more about the physical and more about the spiritual, we'll learn that they are melded together by the command of God. And this is a theological thought. In in, in theory, what we're saying is that God created everything by the same principles, and so whether it's our spiritual soul and our mind interacting with things, or the angels and all of these different realms, or whether it's our natural world, they all have one thing in common, that they have come through God. Going back to our passage in Peter, notice this, and I want you to find it for him, Nancy, where it says, in him and through him are all things. Please find that. Because go back up to where we were, my brother. You're, you're going way past where we were. It's all the way back up to the top. First Peter chapter 1, born again. Notice what it says. You're, you're passing it again, my brother. Please go down now. You've gone too far up. Thank you. But because of the imperishable, notice this, living and enduring word of God. Now keep going. All people are like grass. And notice this, everything in the natural world is like a grass. It will always fade. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail. But the word of the Lord does what? Endures forever. Forever endures forever. The word of God endures because it is the steady state of that which created the universe. It is the foundation for what holds every cell together. If it's not the word of God, what is it? Magic? And let me tell you, if you don't believe in God, you believe in something even worse than magic because you don't believe there's a magician with a hat pulling anything out. Where did that rabbit come from if it wasn't from the magician's hat? Are you listening? So it's not just magic. We believe in God speaking a universe by his word, and his word sustains it, and it's still vibrating from it right now. Otherwise, where did the energy come from? Energy doesn't come from nothing. Energy is here. We see it depleting and I believe that's because God is winding it up to restart it, but where did that original insert of energy come from? Where did the original insert of information come from? There's a great discussion of a computer scientist, very famous, became a Christian later on in life, and he's being interviewed, and he begins to talk about information theory and how it brought him towards the knowledge of God, because everything they're doing in AI, everything these video game programmers are doing, everything CGI is doing, is based on the manipulation of information, and this computer scientist began to think to himself as an atheist, well, where did our information come from? As uh, Elon Musk said, you know, smoking a cigar in a hot tub. Maybe we're in a simulation, you know, talking with Joe Rogan, whatever, you know. Maybe we're in a simulation. Well, hold on. That's a great idea, but hold on. Where did that simulation come from? I do believe we're in a simulation. It's called God's creation. He's simulating, and I'm in it, baby. Amen. Go to that scripture that my wife gave you, please, Rudy. Which one did she give you? Yes, Romans eleven thirteen. Also, Hebrews 1 mentions it. It started coming to my mind. God sustaining through Jesus Christ the entire universe by his word. Notice this in Romans chapter 11, verse 36 for from him and through him and for him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So from him and through him are how many things? How many things? All things. Just spiritual things? No, everything, physical, spiritual, came through him. Now, why we're not pantheists? but we are a version of panentheist. There's a difference. Pantheists, Buddhists, Hindus believe everything is God and God is everything. By doing that, they nullify any distinction between God and everything. We believe that God is separate from his creation. Transcendent is the word. But why we're panentheist is pan, meaning all, then en, meaning like the word in, and then theism, all in God. The reason why we believe that is because literally it says those exact words. All things are through or in him. Does everybody see all things come through him? How many know something has to be in you to go through you? How many know if you eat Taco Bell, it goes in you and then it goes through you? Okay? The universe came in and through God in the good way, if you know what I'm saying. Out this door. Not out this door. He spoke it and it came to pass. Amen? Come on, can I hear another amen? amen. This is forever. How long does this last? Forever. Heaven is sustained for how long by God? forever. The universe, by God, forever. He can recreate, he can do whatever, but if it's sustaining, it's always through him. Matter of fact, let's just go there, Hebrews 1, and then we'll go to our message today. Just good review. I want to make it different every week as we go to heroes of the faith, because in this church, we try to go deeper than just simply the story. We will go into Enoch. We will go into Noah, by God's grace, Abraham, so forth, but you need to understand these things, because this is the world you live in. You're in the information age. The story of Noah's Ark is not enough for you. You need to understand the the, the foundations of your Christian worldview to understand why Noah's Ark is so important. Notice this right here, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining how many things? How many things? All things by his powerful what? Word. Hallelujah. God, the Father, sustains everything you know in this entire universe, in all realms, spiritual and physical, by the word of Jesus, by the spoken words of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen? Amen. I'll go back to our Sunday school lesson, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith we understand See, notice that we're not getting out of our reason. We're not illogical. By faith, we understand. Just like I showed that to you there, that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Highlight that, please. What was visible. Every pagan religion at the time of Judaism and at the birth of the Christian church, believed in some kind of material making what we now call the universe. If you go back to the origin stories of the Egyptians' gods, they come out of this great deep. And remember in Genesis 1, our God sits over the deep and has his spirit do whatever he wants with it to make the great deep to be our universe. But in their worldviews, the Mediterranean and inside the Egyptian worldviews, out of the great deep came their gods. Like the ether. Anybody ever seen uh, uh, the Marvel th- the story? The ether, it was there at the beginning. You remember, you hear that backstory story of the, the ether? That's what they believed, something like that. But notice what our Bible said from the very beginning. It wasn't a special kind of matter making this kind of matter. It wasn't our God coming from something else that makes God, like a multiverse or a multi-God creator. The Bible said from the very beginning, it was God in another realm, and then he created, into our realm, everything that we see. Can I hear an amen for that? That's what the Bible says. And that's why we should do science, because we get to understand more in this. The more we understand in this realm, the more we'll understand in that realm, because this realm is a shadow of that realm. Praise God. I wish I had an amen on that. Think about that. God in his realm makes this realm known as the universe, and inside of that, we see all of these things coming to pass, and what do we learn as we study this more? There's order. When, when uh, Newton discovered gravity, he didn't invent gravity. He discovered it, and wow, these laws of mathematics. He invented calculus to describe what he was uh, searching after as an answer. He needed a new math, so he creates one to describe this. Wow, where did he pull that from? Where was calculus before uh, uh, Sir Isaac Newton discovered it? Where was it? Just floating around. Oh, there it is. Let me pull out that idea of calculus. No, it was grounded in the mind of God. It was as if he was taking something from a realm and bringing it into this realm because something had already been impacted by gravity. The universe had already been impacted by these laws and so forth. And so when he began to inter, interdwell, delve into that one, you know, intertwine himself into that realm, he brought it into this realm. He could see where that came from. But remember, gravity itself is not a thing. It's something we describe a thing by. The word gravity it describes something. What is it? A force. But that force came from somewhere, that motion, that energy. And so our Bible said from the very beginning, when you're looking for the creator, he's not like us. Think about that. You're in Egypt. You have all of these gods. And what does the first commandment say? We're not making any images of God. How many Egyptians are you going to think you're going to have to come to your party now? Hey, we're going to celebrate our gods. Okay, where are your gods at? Well, they're not here. That's a pretty big step as an Israelite in a pagan society, isn't it? That's a pretty big step. But guess what? God was teaching them. I'm not like this. I'm not a sphinx. I'm not a half cat and a half half person. I'm not this. I'm not that. I am not like my creation. That was the foundation of the Jewish faith. And then what else does he teach them? All of these things that you have, they all belong to me. But this is what I want. I want you to make a special place for me to come. And then he makes that tabernacle and that temple and that uh, Ark of the Covenant. And it's a picture of heaven of what the other realm is like. And so when those priests, remember when the book of Hebrews were tying it all together with the Old Testament, with the New, when those priests would come into the presence of the Lord, they were entering into that realm from which all things had come. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So remember that what you're seeing now is temporary. It was created by the word of God. This will fade away. Even though he sustains it right now, this will fade away, and the word of God will endure forever. We talked about Abel last week. Now let's talk about Enoch. Are you all ready? Amen. Let's go. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he what? He exists and that he rewards those who do what? Earnestly seek him. Before we get into the life of Enoch, I want you to see the principle that now is going to be applied to all of these other folks. If you don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. So in other words, if you become so foolish as to think that everything you see is all that exists, or you begin to think that anything that is beyond you cannot exist, you're a fool before God. The Bible says, the fool said in their heart, there is no God. So what is the step of faith here? The step of faith is I didn't create myself. I didn't create this universe. How many can take that much faith and do that? And let's just be honest. Even though atheists are a little bit honoring, there's still a very, very small population because the majority of the world can't say something as stupid as that. Most of the world is not like that, right? So the idea is if you don't have faith that somebody or something made you, or if you don't have faith that seeking after that someone or something will reward you, The Bible says you're a fool, but if you can start at that place and say, yes, I can understand that I didn't make all of this, and someone had to have made all of this. Yes, I believe in the big bang. I just know who banged it. God said, let there be light, and what? Bang. It happened. Amen? You know this to be true. What's the other part you must know? That when you seek after God, He rewards you. And so there are some people who believe in God, and they do well there. You'll meet them on the streets. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Him. But they're not doing anything to seek Him. Even among those who are non-Christians, if they believe in God, and if they believe He will reward them, God will find them in Islam, in Hinduism, and draw them out of those religions. And my uh, World, a global mission class right now. My theology of global missions. I'm sharing videos to how God has showed up to different people groups and to different religions when people did those two things, God brought them out. He has given dreams and visions to Muslims, to Hindus, to people in lost tribes and groups that are indigenous to that land. God is always faithful. So in other words, anyone who will ever go to hell, whether they were born in a Muslim country or born in an isolated village, if anyone goes to hell on judgment day, it is because they did not follow these these commitments to God. Come on, can I hear an amen? amen? Amen, because there's no one going to hell by accident. Do you think God would allow somebody to be born in the Amazonian jungle, not hear the gospel, and then just die and go to hell? No, that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't our Bible say that the judge of heaven and earth always does what is right? Doesn't our Bible teach that he is just, he is love, he is mercy? So if anybody from the Amazonian jungle goes to hell, it's because they didn't believe in God or seek him to reward them. Are you tracking with me? If they were idolaters, they weren't believing in the right God. If they were doing things against their neighbor, they weren't believing in the right God. But if they had honored God by recognizing that the God who made everything is not like a monkey, he's not like a tree, he's not their ancestor hiding in the lake, you know, the the ancestor of the lake, the ancestor of the vegetable or whatever. And if they understood that by doing good, seeking after God, they can receive a good life. God will bless them. Now, some people like to say, well, what happens if they hear about Christianity and they reject it? Would it have been better for them never to have heard Christianity to stay alone in their primitive religion? And this is a bad question because it at the very heart makes God out to be a deceiver. In other words, if God had put in their heart to seek after him and to do what's right to be rewarded, do you think he would allow them to be deceived and then reject Christianity? Come on, everybody say no. When we reach those people groups, Eternity in Their Hearts is one of the books where the missionaries have, those who are doing these things are always the first to become Christians. Why? Because their heart was prepared for the gospel. Even as we see in the book of John, who are the Jews rejecting Jesus? Those who don't see God as he is in the Old Testament. Who are the Jews accepting Jesus? Those who see the God of the Old Testament. Does everybody understand that? In John chapter 6, he says, the reason why you don't come is because the Father's not drawing you. You're not my children. You're children of the devil. If you belong to me, you would come to me. So what's the difference between, let's just take it out of the, 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 the Serengeti plains of Africa or the jungles of the Amazon or the unreached people groups of the Goths in, in Europe and so forth. Let's just ask the very simple question. When Jesus came to the Jews, why were there some Jews who accepted him and some Jews who rejected him? It's because the Jews who had previously honored God in the word, believed in the God of Israel, who were in a right place with that God, those ones, when they saw Jesus, saw it as the missing puzzle piece. Does everybody get that? Go to John chapter 6 just quickly so you can see it. Who were the ones that were rejecting him? Those that were already rejecting the knowledge of God they had in the Old Testament. Go down a little bit more for me, please. Go to John chapter 6, in around verse 40. Go all the way down. You're in, yeah, there we go. Notice this, verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Whoever or everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. Ooh, come on, somebody go, oh, Snap. Now, do you think that that just applies to the Jews? No, that principle applies to all people groups. Anyone who's been learning of the Father will be drawn to the missionary when they bring the gospel to them. Did you you get that? So we're not going over there messing it up. Let's just leave them primitive because whatever knowledge they have, if they love God, they're not idolaters, they do good to their neighbor, then they go to heaven. No, that's not how we leave them. We go with the greater knowledge, the greater blessing, because then they can start a more healthier relationship with God, have more knowledge, and knowledge is power and so forth. And those who receive it are the very ones who up until that time had been obeying God with the light they had been given. Amen? Amen. Go to Romans chapter one. I'll show it to you one more time. This is why the Bible talks about a fair judgment. Go all the way down uh, to chapter, let's say, it's going to be at the end of chapter 1 or at the beginning of chapter 2. Go up a little bit more for me, please. Go up, keep going. Here we go. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, go up just a little bit more. Right here. For although they knew God, This is talking about people groups who have turned away from God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Does everybody see that? Amen. Now, just go up a few more verses. I like 19 and 20 up here. Go up to 19, please. Notice this, for since, let's go to verse, uh, let's say 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what is known about God is what? Is plain to them, because God has done what? Made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what is made so that they are without excuse. Come on, somebody say without excuse. Now keep scrolling down. Thank you. It says they knew God. And they didn't glorify him as God. And their thinking became futile. Now keep going to where idolatry came from. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires. Now keep going to chapter 2. In chapter 2, the Bible says, in verse 12, it says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. So if they have not yet heard all the laws of God, but they still break the moral laws, there'll be no excuse. They're going to perish. They're going to be judged as those outside of the law. But now look at verse 13, and please highlight it. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law. Who will be declared righteous? Come on, somebody. Now, if you say, well, Joe, you can't apply that to the lost people groups. That's exactly how Paul applies. Look at verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by what? Do by what? Nature, that nature that God has given them to recognize in their conscience those things we have spoken about. Who do these things by nature, hallelujah, required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written where? On their heart. Now highlight this, please. This next sentence, brother. Their consciences are also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. So notice this. Come on, Nancy. You learning, baby girl? Amen. We having a good Mother's Day? This is the adichetta of the word. Amen? Amen. This is is your favorite chocolate. What's that, that chocolate, that fancy one that comes with the gold wrapper? They all know it, yeah. That's this right here for you. This is that chocolatey, chocolate word of the Lord for you, sister. Hallelujah. Their conscience is also bearing witness that their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place when God judges them on that day when he judges their secrets through the gospel of Jesus Christ or through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So this is not all roads leading to heaven. This is not a way to heaven outside of Christ. Paul said because the gospel is so fair and just, those who have not had the law will be judged by what they knew in their conscience. So imagine on judgment day, you see people from the Aztec empire coming up there, getting judged. Are you going to feel sorry for them if they go to hell? No, because in their heart, what did they know? They knew the knowledge of God. If they turned away from the knowledge of God and started worshiping idols, that's what they'll be condemned for. Are you guys tracking with me? On the day of judgment and you see the Goths and you see the barbarians, these Slavic nations, they didn't get the gospel yet, but you see them on judgment day. Will you feel sorry for they go to hell? No, because according to the Bible, their conscience, they knew what to do. They may not have had all of the details of the law, as we have learned in Hebrews and how the shadows and how it points to Jesus Christ, but they knew these things. They knew these things that they should follow, and if they did follow them, they would be declared righteous. Now, let me just show you just what they should be following in the scriptures. Go to, uh, further up to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says, to those who by persistence, well, let's just go back up to the judgment part. Verse 5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself on the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed because God, notice this, God is a righteous judge. Verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. According to the knowledge of what they have had and what they have done. Now, here's what every people group from all of time and and all of space in the earth and the universe, as long as we've been here, this is what they are going to be judged on. The Bible says here, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give them eternal life. Come on, can I hear an amen today? This is the most gospel-centered epistle, Romans is, and yet he talks about the unreached people groups. Why is that so important? Because you're going to learn about a guy named Enoch who never met Moses thousands, if not, you know, thousands, hundreds of years before Moses. You're going to meet these people like Enoch who had never had the Bible, never had scriptures, and yet they're going to be so close to God they're taken up to heaven. How did that happen? That happened by this. Enoch knew this universe, I didn't make it, God must have made it. And the God who made it doesn't look like anything down here, so I shouldn't be worshiping a snake, a serpent, or a dog, or a cow, whatever everybody else is worshiping, I'm not worshiping that. And then what did he realize? I'm going to seek after that God because I believe that the God is good enough to give me the air that I breathe, my heart beating and a beautiful sunrise and a sunset and beautiful blue clouds. Then that God wants me to go after him and get to know him. And so if I seek that good and glory, honor, immortality, I'll get eternal life. And the Bible says he did it so well that he didn't even die. God says, son, you up here all the time. You might as well stay. Just stay up here. He took them right up to heaven as an example of how close to God you can be. Some want to be so close to hell that they go to heaven. I want to be so close to heaven that I still got to stay on this earth to do something good for you. I don't want to see hell on earth. I want to see heaven on earth because I've been up there so much. Amen? The Bible says we're seated in heavenly realms so you and I should get a heavenly vision. Amen? Amen? So he took him up to heaven. Let's read that story quickly today. It's one of the most shortest stories we see in the Hebrews, uh, heroes of faith in chapter 11. But go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. It's the story of Enoch. He's a man who lived but did not die. Enoch lived 65 years. He became the father of Methuselah, who ended up becoming the oldest man on the earth. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. The title of today's message, which I have finally gotten to, is walk faithfully with God. Look at your neighbor and say, walk faithfully with God. Amen. Hopefully, my my message will be shorter than my introduction, but this is the message. He walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. There's your days of the year right there. Numerology shouldn't be something you base doctrine on, but it should make you go, "Hmm, God's pretty smart. He's showing me something there, so I'll let you go deep. But his his life was the span of the year, and back then, they followed a lunar year, which is 360. Why was his 365? Was God showing us the mathematics of a better year? I don't know, but we'll just leave that there so he lived 365 years which was 365 days in a normal year Enoch walked faithfully with God notice it says it again highlight it please Enoch walked faithfully with God then he was no more because God took him come on up here Enoch you're here all the time anyway just stay here you don't have to go home tonight The Bible teaches us that people have been close to God, so close that he's taken them to be with them. Going back to the Hebrews passage, what is the lesson here? Why does this come up? Enoch was taken from this life. He did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. He was commended as one who pleased God. How did Enoch know how to please God without a scripture? How did he know how to please God without the law of Moses? How did he know how to please God when everybody around him was living wicked and evil? This is right before Noah's flood. Can I hear an amen? This is right before Noah's flood. This is right before the whole world literally gets drowned. How does this man know how to do it? By what I just taught you in Romans. He had in his conscience an awakening that there is something greater than me, and I need to reach out to that. Oh to God that everyone here would desire to walk with God. I say to people all the time who mock me for believing in God, I say, well, then what do you believe in? They say, I don't know, and it doesn't matter. My friends, that's the most important thing that matters. How could anyone ignore such a great question, where did I come from? How could you ignore that question? Today, we have young people so high on drugs, partying, listening to social media, you know, watching TikTok and all this, that they don't even have time to sit and be with their own thoughts. There are young people today that can't have, uh, they can't have a moment of silence. They are so afraid to be alone with themselves because they don't understand their purpose. And yet God tells us what our purpose is. Our purpose is to walk with God. Our purpose is to be like Enoch, to walk with him, to talk with him. Now, some might ask, was he physically with Enoch like he was with Noah or, excuse me, like with Adam? And I don't think so. I think this is like how he was with other saints of the Bible. In other words, it was in his heart. It was in his heart that he knew God was real. And there in the language of the spirit, one spirit to another, deep calling unto deep, like how the ocean brings in on itself the tidal waves until they crash one upon another. This cyclical nature of the deep calling to deep. I believe his spirit was being drawn to God's spirit like a magnet until afterwards God just said, just stay here with me now as an example of what I made you for. Enoch rediscovered his purpose The purpose of mankind is to know God and to make him known. Now, of course, if we all went to heaven, no one would be left here to tell the story. So I don't think we're all going to be taken to heaven like Enoch, though I believe it's a picture of the rapture. So is Elijah's story to heaven. That will get us off topic. But Elijah and Enoch teach us that as close as God wants us to be, we can be close to him. So in other words, why would we resist what God wants for us? God wants us to be close. Well, then you can be close. You know, the reason why my wife and I are married having babies is because we want to be close to each other. How many know if I wanted to be close to her and she didn't want to be close to me, that's called another thing. It's not marriage. It's rape. It's stalking. How many are glad that's not happening in my marriage today, right? I'm not getting arrested. So what we have is a relationship. It's a mutual relationship. How close do you think God wants you to be with them? You think he wants you to be this close? At least you could just touch him every now and then. Or maybe this close so you could bump into him? Or do you think he wants to be this close? So if God, and you and I believe this, wants us to be this close, why are we not this close? I know some of us are, but I just speak in general as humanity. Why do we resist this relationship? Well, the reason is, is because we don't want to be faithful. Quickly, in closing, Matthew 25, I'm going to give you three examples of why we don't want to be faithful. See, Enoch walked faithfully with God. And yet we make excuses all the time not to do this. There's three stories about God's faithfulness in Matthew 25. The first one is of virgins, the second one is of servants, and the third is of sheep and goats. And as I was praying today to share this with you, I wanted to give you what I thought Enoch would be like. Like these parables show what Enoch was like. I don't have time to read this whole chapter because it's literally the whole chapter 25. But I want you to see this. In summary, the story of the 10 virgins is that they were all invited to make a processional for the bride and groom to come into the banquet hall and get married. The issue was, is that only five of the virgins brought enough oil to light the way. The other five didn't bring enough. And so when they ran out and their candles are going uh, going down and their lanterns are running out of oil... They ask the other five for oil, and the, the five say, I can't give that to you. You have to go and get your own. And then what happens, verse 6, at midnight, the cry rang out. Here comes the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. The oil for our lamps have gone out. No, they replied, there's not going to be enough for both of us. You instead go get your own, you know, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, who had already went in with him, went into the wedding banquet. The ones that were there went in, and the door was shut. The others came and said, Lord, open the door for us. But he said to them, truly, I don't know you. How you don't know me? You invited me. (laughs) Hello? You invited me. How you don't know me? man, I don't know you. Because if you knew me, you would have known this thing started at 10. And you're not here at 10, so I don't know you. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Jesus taught him an example that to us might seem rude. What is the lesson here that we can apply to Enoch? Enoch knew how to keep the fire of his heart burning for Jesus every day. 365 years he did it. And many of you can't even do it for 365 days. He lived 365 years waking up every morning. Glorious. Uh, Glorious, Señor. gloria Señor. Jesucristo, be with me. Espíritu Santo, viene a esta casa. entre mi corazón. ahora. I'm trying to make it romantic and spiritual. I try. I, I try. Un poquito. Holy Spirit, come into my house. Come into my heart. Más. More. Every day. 365 years he's lighting his life on fire for Jesus here I am Jesus set my life on fire for you oil of the Holy Spirit and yet some of you wish you could die now and go to heaven because you think this next year is going to be too hard, you're going to backslide some teenagers like take me home Lord, I don't know if I can make it a virgin to marriage Afraid you're going to mess it up. I don't know if I have what it takes. Listen, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit is what keeps the fire burning. We rely upon Jesus. You notice, go to those who have it and get it. Who has the oil for our soul? God. Who's the one that wants us on fire? God. So God's never going to ask us to do something that He doesn't provide for it. It's like if we go today and go buy some Mother's Day gifts. Who do you think's giving the money to my kids to go into Jewel and go get some stuff? I'm giving it to them. But they have to ask. And none of them have asked yet. Don't you love your mama, boy? You should have asked me for some money. Some of them need to come home with me. Leave some of them home. We're going to surprise you. Now you know already. It's not a surprise. Oh, man, I'm messing up. I got to think of something else. I work harder at this but it's an example and you all get it if my son would have came to me this week dad I want to buy something for mom I'm going to get out the money and guess what that's actually her money because we share the same account so she's going to get a gift that she paid for herself but hold on is she going to mind no because she's going to love it why is she going to love it because it's not the money or where it came from it's the heart God knows he gives us the oil God knows you can't do this without him he just wants you to ask for it so that you can keep burning for him. Go on to the next one, please. We learn about these servants. You've heard about it. He gives one a bag of gold, another a couple bags, another a little bit more. He goes on a journey. You know, one gets one, one gets two, one gets five. And then he comes back and checks on them. Okay, what do you got to show me? The one that had five bags of gold says, here's five more. The one that had two bags of gold says, here's two more. And then what does the one with the one bag of gold do? Show up with the one bag of gold. Here you go, God, aren't you lucky you had me to take care of it? Aren't you lucky I'm so good at just taking care of it? No, scroll down, please. What does it say he says to him? He says to him, man, you are a wicked, lazy servant. Keep going down, please. Follow along with me. Look at it. He said, the man who received one bag of gold said, master, go back up, please, brother. Master, he said, I know you're a hardworking man harvesting where you have not sown gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out and hid your gold in the ground. Here it is what belongs to you. And by the way, even some sinners can't even do that. Some sinners wasting it on the casino, wasting it on uh, OnlyFans. He's at least a sinner that had a little bit, I mean, all of it left. He had a little bit of sense, right? But God don't want you just to have a little bit of sense. He wants you to multiply your life. So he said, here it is, I just got afraid and just, you know, just took care of what I could. The way I think about this kind of sinner is the guy who says, man, I I take care of my family, I pay my bills, I pay my taxes, like it's one of those kinds of sinners. Man, if this was a sinner that spent that money, man, he would have been totally, you know, done wrong. by, you know, he would have been judged. But this guy was actually like, man, look, I, I still got it, you know, like, so I look at this like a sinner, like, I still got my life, I still got my family, you know, I'm not out there doing all that bad stuff. His master said, look at verse 26, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had so- and had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered. You should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Somebody said, that's smart. Amen. Don't just hide your money in your mattress. Put it in a bank that you can trust. Not those Silicon Valley banks that go bankrupt. Put it in a place you can trust. Get some interest. That's from the Bible. you got a financial lesson from Jesus. Hallelujah. But what does he say back to him, man? You're wicked. You're lazy. How do we apply this to Enoch? Enoch wasn't lazy. Enoch got up every day and walked with the Lord. Enoch gave what he had to God every single day. If God wanted him to do something, he went and did it. He's, it says he walked faithfully with the Lord. And yes, he was a father. Yes, he had to take care of himself. He had to have you know, clothes and, and food and all of these things. But on top of all of that, 365 years, he took care of the Lord's business. Somebody say the Lord's business. Are you taking care of the Lord's business? Because God got business to do. It doesn't matter if you're going to become a professional athlete. It doesn't matter if you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, an engineer, a pastor, a homeschooler. It doesn't matter. Work in the service industries, being an inventor, entrepreneur. You need to work for Jesus. And here's a great way to look at it. I'm not just working for Jesus. I'm working with Jesus. You see, those other men understood. They were in a partnership. And I could just imagine Enoch saying, There's not a lot of people partnered with God down here, but God, I'll be your partner. God, I'll be your partner. And you know what? If it wasn't for Enoch and Methuselah, his son, Noah would have never known how to partner with God. So Enoch kept his business with God so strong that it can influence the second and third generation. I don't know if anyone here has been fortunate enough to have a business that your family has been in for years handed to you, but that's a blessing. And I know sometimes we watch these movies where it's like, oh, Dad, I don't want to be like you, a millionaire, and do all those other things. I want to be a rock and roll star. And then it's like some movie, and it goes becomes a rock and roll star, and at the end, the dad's like, okay, son, I'm glad you're happy, okay? But has anybody ever watched any of those movies been like, I would be happy just being the son right now? I would be, you know, it's like the guys, the prince. I don't like being a prince, Dad. I want you, know, like, coming to America. I want to go sweet floors at McDowell's. But does anybody ever say to themselves, I, I would like to be a prince, dude. I know like, you, if you lost your identity, it might not be worth it, but sometimes I watch those movies, and I'm like, the way we're starting here is the way I would like to just end this thing. Like, this is a good movie for me. I'm that. That's a great place to be. Saying, I could be here all day with, like, four. I don't to be here, Dad, and he causes all these troubles and Loki takes over. It's like, dude, be a king, man. Being a king's pretty awesome. How many think being a king of Asgard would be pretty awesome? That's where we are in the service right now, so just track with me, okay? That would be pretty amazing. Why do I feel that way? Guess what? Because as I've gotten some of these youngsters, I start to feel that's pretty cool. I would love for my kids to work in the church. I would love for you to do it, but you know what I always tell them? Just be who God called you to be. But notice this. Everything you do is God-centered. If not, why are you doing it? You're in your father's business, the heavenly father's business. Don't run away like the prodigal son. Stay in dad's business. Stay in the family business, serving the Lord. Amen? And then the last one, sheep and goats. This is probably where we know the least about Enoch, but I know from the scriptures, this kind of behavior would be prevalent in his life. The Bible ends, uh, this passage ends here by telling us that God judges us and separates us. Sheep on one side, goats on the other. And the the sheep are those who are people of charity, people of kindness, people of goodness. And then the goats were selfish. And then the goats basically say back to Jesus, like, when did I ever see you poor? Because he said to them, what you didn't do for these people, you didn't do for me. And what the sheep did for these people, they did for me. So the goats were like, man, when did we ever see you like this, poor or hurting? And Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so we don't know much about Enoch's life of charity. I don't. I can't stretch it that far. But I can guarantee you he was a generous person because every godly person I have ever met in the world always wants to help others. Can I hear an amen to that? How many of you are generous people? You would help others. And so let me encourage you this with this today. Your success is not just for you, it's for others. Sometimes we only dream about our family and us four and no more. But what about all the other families we can touch? What if I said to myself as a pastor, oh, I just want to pastor my kids. That's all I want to do. No, I want to pastor you. I want to pastor your family. Well, if you said, well, all I want to do is make money for my family. No, what if you made money and also were a generous giver so that you could help out the community, after school programs, and develop things that change the world? because of your generosity, you brought someone home tonight. Maybe someone is here today and they don't have a good relationship with their mother or they feel left out of their family celebration because they're a Christian and they just want to be around a family today. Bring them over to your house. Love on them. Why? Because that's what we do as Christians. That's what it's like in heaven. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? He said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He didn't just say, Give me my taco. Is that what he said? Give me my pizza. Give me my gyro. No, he said, give us our daily bread. Are you breaking bread with people today? Are you sharing your life? Because that's what I believe Enoch did in closing, looking at the Hebrews passage with Enoch. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Now watch this. And then one day he was gone. He was taken. Do you know? that all of us one day are going to die. And you know what I want to be said about us? Is that we walked with God. We walked with God. God forbid something happens to anybody this year or this week. But if I had to stand here and do your funeral, I would want to say this brother, this sister, they walked with God. They're no longer with us. They're at home walking the streets of gold with their father now and their savior, Jesus Christ. But when they were on this earth, they walked with God. I remember my one friend, he uh, was traveling with a powerful evangelist and uh, these men would go around the country and they would preach, man, and and, uh, altars would be filled, thousands of people. It was amazing. And he just wanted to be like this preacher. That was his hero. And so as they were in a hotel together one time, he said, Brother Joey, I want to see how you pray because, man, when you come out of this hotel and they give you the mic, you're like a man on fire. You see signs, wonders, miracles. So I want to see what it's like when you plug into heaven. Can I join you in your prayer closet? And Brother Joey said to my friend Wayne, he goes, no, no, no. That's too personal. You can see me pray in church and those things but my prayer closet that's between me and God. Wayne, my friend, very similar to me, didn't didn't take that, you know, the no as an answer. No, come on, Joey. Come on, Joey. Joey said, "Okay. If you come, it's not about you, it's just about me and Jesus. Just sit somewhere and let me talk to the Lord." He goes, "Okay." So Wayne's ready for this. He's, he's, he's ready for, like, you know, this experience with God. The, the top of the hotel roof is going to open up. Ah, ah, ah. Angel Gabriel's going to come down. He said he watched the man of God just stand in the middle of the hotel room, put out his hand, and be quiet. And then within a few moments, he said, Jesus, take me by my hand and walk with me today tears were streaming down Joey's face take me by my hand Jesus within a few moments the glory of God was so strong Wayne fell to his face on the floor God I feel you here and afterwards they talked about it and he said to him he said it's not loud prayers it's not big words it's just opening up your heart every day and saying Jesus let's go I want to be with you And when you start to get that close to Him, His presence is all that you need. That story has stuck with me for years because I think about how often I want to impress you and I want you to think I'm amazing at being a pastor and everyone here should live for God because we're great leaders here. But really, that's not how I live for God. I don't live for God in my strength. I'm not preaching a two-hour sermon today to the Lord on my way home or in my prayer closet. Though it's not like Joey, it's very similar. If you were to see me pray or to be in my house when I do a prayer walk around the neighborhood, all I'm doing is just asking the Lord, walk with me because I want to walk with you. Make me faithful, God. Faithful, Lord. I don't want to quit. Like we learned in these stories, and there's so many like it, but just out of these stories, Lord, I don't want my lamp to go out. One of my prayers that I pray continually is, Lord, let me finish the race as strong as I did, if not stronger than when I first started because I'm getting older now. I'm getting tired now, Lord. Make me strong, Jesus and then like those prayers of the servants Lord multiply what I have I pray to him all the time even when I'm getting ready to come out here and preach it's like Lord we don't have much here it's, it doesn't seem like a lot compared to these others but multiply it Jesus I will not hide a bag of gold here each one of you is a bag of gold to me and I won't hide you I'm going to put you out there at Lollapalooza for the whole world to see and multiply you in Jesus name come on somebody and then it's like Lord Help me give it away. Yesterday, we were at Reese Park, and we were uh, preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, I got a call from one of the preachers out there, and they said, Hey, man, we got a Muslim. Do you want to come talk to him? I'm like, Of course I do. That's why I'm here. Two hours later, I'm having to leave, and he still wants me to stay. That's what I'm talking about. A Muslim who can't get enough of us preaching the gospel to him? to where he lays out blankets on his, uh, his, his porch and, or his yard and makes us comfortable, brings out tea, and we're there preaching for hours. What if I would have stayed home that day to go wakeboarding? What if I would have said, well, you know, I'm the big pastor. I don't have to go out all the time. I've done this 20 plus years. You guys go. I would have missed what it was like To sit in a Muslim's front yard for two hours preaching the gospel. I don't know what it was like to be Enoch, but I know what it's like to be Joe. And I've watched a lot of people live for Jesus. There's nothing like it. And brothers or sisters, let us do it because one day we'll be taken from this earth. And let them say of us, they walked with God. Amen? Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Thank you, mothers, for your patience. Band and altar workers, would you come? Hopefully that crockpot hasn't burned down the house. Golden Corral got some room left for you all, or Bodinkins, wherever you're going. Father, we ask you to make us like Enoch's today. Help us to walk faithfully with you, Lord, and not give up. If you're here today and you haven't even started that walk, today's your day to take the baby step and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, right?